Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Welcome back. I'm so proud of you. I'm so thankful for you. I'm so grateful to the Lord for his faithfulness. You know, I, I, uh, I know my experience in the pandemic has been in the daily praying, God, give us today, give me today my daily bread. And at night, looking back on the day, just shaking my head, going, you are so faithful. You are so faithful. Do it again tomorrow, Lord. Do it again tomorrow. So thank you. It's, it's wonderful to be together. And um, I'm excited to be into God's word with you. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, bring your Bibles uh, to Ezra, open them to Ezra, Ezra, everybody, chapter nine. And I want you to give a PCC welcome to two friends of mine, uh, Mike Prosper and my friend Paul Richards. Would you please welcome them as they come up? Uh, just some background, Mike works in tech, but uh, when he's not doing that, he's on the board of PCC. He oversees uh, the community center as a board member and the whole global ministry of PCC. Paul is a disciple of Jesus disguised as a police officer in Fremont and uh, serves on our core team. Thank you. Our core team is our commission on racial equity. So uh, these two have been brothers for some time and have intentionally been being the bridge with each other and our great brothers in Christ. So I just want to throw it out there. How has your relationship molded you and helped shape you to look more like Jesus? Well, Paul and I originally met as part of the Young Marrieds group here at PCC way back in 2006, before I had my two daughters. Did you say 2006? 2006. Okay, wow. Uh, before I had my two daughters and before Paul had his son, Cole. And we, uh, we connected in that group, and we, our families, our couples, got together in a small group, and we started forming our relationship there. Yeah, I think uh, that, that relationship really started there, and there was a couple of key elements that we both dedicated to ourselves and to each other in that, uh, in that time. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that we really recognized right away, uh, I brought into it, was I really asked for somebody that wanted to live life for the long term together. And that's a big ask, especially in a small group that you just met somebody at a brand new church. Uh, and so there was a bunch of intentionality that Mike and I put into the relationship uh, and our families. Uh, there was a lot of risk because we didn't know each other and we were young. We were in our early 20s, I think. Uh, and there was a lot of sacrifice uh, that, that each family unit put into the relationship. And that, that has just continued and given us just benefits beyond imagination. Paul, what do you mean by sacrifice? Uh, well, one that really flies in my mind right away was uh, Mike asked us to actually buy a condo across the hall from them. <laughs> so there was an economic side to okay. it. Okay, big uh, economic That side. was a big, uh, a big risk because my wife and I had never owned property before. That was our first purchase, actually. Yeah. Um, so that was, that, that was the, the very practical sacrifice in that sense. Um, I think uh, other sacrifices really have to do with what, what does the marriages and what do the relationships look like? Um, sometimes when you're living in community with each other, uh, your, your relationships are not just yours, it's you and your wife together, and how does your married couple interact with community? And sometimes it's not always what either party may envision, and it takes a little bit of sacrifice and intentional communication within the marriage as well as within the friendships. 
So what we're seeing is a picture of intentional community here. We say it like this way, circles are better than rows. These two have committed to do life together. So Mike's marriage is not just Mike's marriage, it's been entrusted to him and is being lived out in this community with each other. Um, you talked about the generational aspect of that when we were getting ready for this. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I think the, uh, in some ways our families are, are very similar. So my family's biracial, uh, Paul's family's biracial. I'm, I'm half Puerto Rican, half Korean. Um, in my, uh, it's really important for me, uh, since my parents are 400 miles away, for my daughters ha especially have a role model like Anne, who is Korean, in their lives and have access to someone like that who models their culture and is a strong, godly woman um, who has a career and to provide that example for my girls. In the same way, uh, it's, it's really important to me that my girls have a really um, a great role model in Paul, uh, being a police officer, a man of integrity, um, someone who really does serve the community in his role as a police officer, and to, to have Paul as a living example that works against some of the narratives that they hear every day is, is an important part of uh, our relationship and how our families interact and grow together. Can I just pick up on that? Because in this uh, series we're going through, Be the Bridge, proximity is so important. Because when it becomes interpersonal, it's no longer an issue, it's a person. They're people with names and relationships. So Mike's saying uh, his daughters are, have a relationship with a living, breathing public service officer and Paul's a disciple disguised as a policeman trying to live out a different narrative than what's being over all the headlines and what have you. Much like as followers of Christ, we are endeavoring to live out a different narrative than what's going across the airwaves about Christians. That's so important. Proximity is so important. Do you want to say something, Paul, about the generational part? Yeah. Uh, for, for me, I'm away from the family a lot at inopportune times, uh, holidays, things of that nature, and that's just the nature of the job. Um, and so it's been important for me, especially for, for my kid, uh, and Mike and his family have been very gracious in taking my family in at times that I'm away for holidays or birthdays or celebrations or things of that nature. Um, so that has always been a very important role, uh, a very important thing for me. Another really important thing for me is, because my kid is biracial, having Mike as a role model for him uh, to be able to see, hey, here's you know, another man like my father, but another man who looks and sounds and, you know, like me, my, being my child. Um, somebody that is successful and you know, powerful in his own way, uh, gentle and loving, is something that I want my kid to see as well, um, because his Korean side, the grandparents are not around, uh, so he really doesn't have any male role models for him from that aspect in his family. Uh, so having that for my kid, to me, is also just as important. Uh, so I think for both of us, there's a future reward that is going to be reaped generationally down the line for Amen. our kids, and that's the reward from what we do intentionally with each other as community uh, and as friends. I love that. Thank you for your effort to be the bridge for each other and the way that you are doing life together. Not only you two, but your marriage, your family. So important. Uh, it is one of the greatest assets at PCC. Can we thank God and thank them? Thank you.
Let's pray together. I want you to take a deep breath, everybody. That breath is a gift from God. And I want to ask, as you take your deep breath, what was your expectation of gathering? What were you hoping for in this hour? Give that to the Lord in prayer. God, my hope is, I know, seeing each other. My hope was seeing you, meeting you, having the word open, being able to worship you, having my heart and mind and vision reoriented towards your throne and towards eternity. None of that can come about through human effort. So we're here pausing humbly as the word is open with each other before your throne, asking that you change us. You bring about conviction. We need that, Lord. We need you. We pray for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Uh, this last week, I got a call from my 25-year-old daughter who's in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, off payroll and doing a great job in her career. Um, and she said, Daddy, uh, my car, when I drive it, keeps veering off to the side. And I said, oh, honey, um, go outside right now. We FaceTime. I go, check the tires. And she showed me the tires, and they were threadbare. And I said, oh, sweetheart, I am so sorry. Daddy never told you about changing tires and making sure you get them aligned and all that. They were out of alignment and threadbare. So she went to a place called Les Schwab Tire Company. Have you heard of Les Schwab? And she, I'm not being endorsed by Les Schwab. I'm just telling you where she went. And she um, got them changed. And, you know, I talked with her through the whole thing. And I went on the website looking at Les Schwab. And right on the website, I, it looked, I Googled alignment. And he says this, do I really need an alignment? Alignment, talking about tires, assures your tires meet the road at the proper angle. Your wheels are pointing straight and your tires are centered. Alignment adjusts the angles of your vehicle's wheels for best gas mileage, proper road contact, smooth ride, and longest tire life. I mean, it got me thinking for today because the wear and tear of life will bring you out of alignment with God. Our worldview here at PCC, we live in a sin-cursed world. We're part of it. We are sinful beings. We are saints, redeemed, but who sin. And as we walk through this world, life is hard, but God is good. And as we do, our life gets out of alignment. And because of the cross, everybody, Jesus allows us to come back to him time and time again for a realignment with our true north, with Jesus. That's called confession. And as we're talking about being the bridge, we're walking this, this journey on how to be on earth as it is in heaven. We just prayed that in the Lord's Prayer. And we know in heaven there is a beautiful mosaic. Uh, we have it as a memory uh, every time we pull out a dollar bill, e pluribus unum, in many, one. That should be the church. There was never, we talked about last week, there was never a church in the New Testament and there's not a church in heaven as we see in Revelation 7, 9 that's homogenous. 
every church planted in the New Testament. Name your church, Thessalonica, Corinth, Philippi, Ephesus, you name them, Colossae, all multi-ethnic churches. Our city is 50% non-white. We're trying to equip each other to be the bridge as missionaries to embrace our city and show them what it means to live kingdom, to join a narrative that's happening in our world, but with a kingdom solution. So as we do that, we're going to come to a place that starts with lament. Oh my gosh, what has our world become? And then it goes to confession. Lord, this is not the world you designed. Now, you look at your home pages, we would all agree with that. This is not the world God has designed. This is the world sinful human beings have messed up. So what do you do when your life is out of alignment with God, with God's word? Confession is the alignment that brings you back. We're going to look at that today. Your Bibles are open, right, to Ezra chapter 9. And we're going to see and jump into a community. I'm going to give you four elements of what confession is. Uh, A community misaligned with God. Like all of us have experienced, no one saw it coming. No one knew we'd be uh, closing the doors on Sundays for 52, I'm sorry, 60 weeks. No one saw it coming. Israel didn't see it coming either. Uh, They were way out of alignment with God. The Babylonians came in and devastated Jerusalem, leveled the temple took their best away and put them in Babylon. And now we are about, uh, we're about six months into Israel being let back into Jerusalem. And they've rebuilt the temple and they've gathered. I'm not, I'm not making this up. It was the first time when we look at this, they were back in the temple after being gone for so long. And they expected God to show up and he didn't. And Ezra comes on the scene to talk to this community and to say, you are not aligned. We are not aligned with God. In our wanderings, we have wandered from God. And I just want to ask you from the start, what good is a building? Because this is what Ezra brings out. What good is a building if God doesn't show up in it? And you know this church. The church is not this building. This is the church the people. We are the church. And we want God to be at the center of all that we do. And so Ezra leads them in a beautiful confession in Ezra chapter 9. And we see this incredible portrait of what confession is. And today's an all play. Maybe you're not in to be the bridge. Uh, I hope you are. Uh, I can't imagine if you have the Spirit of God in you not wanting to be the bridge. I, I would invite you to do a gut check there. But if you're not, confession is critical to Christian community. It's critical. Uh, confession is everything from, uh, hey, boss, I messed up that sale. Confession is talking to your parents if you're a kid. Hey, mom, I didn't obey you fully. Uh, confession is talking to a spouse or to a, um, a friend and saying, you know what, I didn't honor you. Confession is coming to God and saying, Lord, I have fallen short. It's so important. It's so important. So in Ezra chapter 9, let me give you four A's of confession. Here's the first. Confession is when we agree with God. We agree with God. Now, here's where you're going to hear things different here than you hear 
in every other public setting. You're not going to get this on the airwaves. You're not going to get this in social media because uh, this is where God comes in. We call it what it is from God's perspective, not from ours. Ezra chapter 9, verse 1. You all there? I'm going to read through verse 11, and I'm going to jump through pretty quickly. After these things had been done, I told you what those things were. They had wandered from God. And, and where it was reflected was in their earthly relationships. You can always know a culture is out of alignment with God by looking at the relationships. When there's relational breakdown, God is not honored. It's just a display. You see that all over the Old Testament and the New Testament, actually. The leaders came to me, that would be Ezra, and said, the people of Israel have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices. Let me just tell you that uh, the design of God has always been that the people of God live separate. That's the word called holy. Not in a staunch, judgmental way, but that we outlive our generation, that we outlove our generation, that we outjoy our generation, that we outgrace our generation. That's always been the design for the people of God, never to blend in, always to stand out. With their detestable practices, the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. God always defines sin in terms of relationship, not in terms of this um, uh, impersonal act it's always in terms of a relationship with him and he he uses actually a marriage term here saying you've been unfaithful to me Ezra says when I heard this I tore my tunic and cloak and I pulled the hair out of my head and beard and I sat down appalled then at the evening sacrifice, I rose with my tunic and cloak torn, and I fell on my knees, my hands spread out to the Lord my God. I'm in verse 6 now, and I prayed, I'm too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift my face to you. Now look at this. He goes from first person personal to first person plural. This is an act of confession I don't think we know much of in the West, in the church. He's confessing sins that he never committed. He's confessing on behalf of a people. Because our sins are higher than the heads, our heads. Our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors till now, our guilt has been great because of our sins. We and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword in captivity, to pillage and humiliation at the hand of foreign kings as it is today. But now, our God, what can we say after this? We have forsaken the commands you gave through your servants, the prophets. The word confession literally means to agree, to agree. And what we're doing, the first part of confession is we are agreeing, we are saying the same thing as God. I know many times for me the temptation is to relabel sin to make it more palatable. So it's not adultery in our culture, it's an affair. Because affair sounds a lot more pleasant. Uh, and I can go on and on and on, but for the sake of time, I would just say, as we come to the Lord, call it what it is. Call it what it is, according to God's standard. I'm so struck 
that Ezra doesn't belittle the sin, doesn't mislabel the sin. He just agrees with God. We wandered. We were wrong. We're appalled. We're sorry. Agree with God. Second thing is he's appalled by sin. He's appalled. Look at verse 4 to 6. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. The word appalled literally means uh, horrified, shocked, astonished. When's the last time that was your experience? When's the last time you came before the Lord in all his holiness and you brought your sin before the Lord in a New Testament Sermon on the Mount way and you said to the Lord, and by the Sermon on the Mount, you, that point where Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not murder. I say, if you hate a person, you've murdered in God's eyes. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I say, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. When was the last time you looked at your life and it actually brought you horror that your hands could worship a holy God and engage in such sinful activity, that your mouth could speak blessing and curse over somebody. Healthy confession has healthy remorse. It doesn't stay there. We'll get to that in a minute. But it has healthy remorse. And what's amazing to me is that Ezra enters into that and says, God, I don't know how we got here, but I'm so, so, excuse me, I'm so sorry we're here. I'm so sorry for what sin has done to our relationships, to us, to where we don't look any differently than the culture. That's what Ezra was confession, confessing. Now, it's really important here uh, for me to take a moment and, and look at this through the New Testament lens. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 should be a memory verse. I'm sorry to should on you, but it should be a memory verse for you. Many of you have it memorized. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. There's a difference. I'm talking about conviction here, not condemnation. Do you know the difference? Now, let me just go down and, and share it with you. Convictions from God, condemnations from the pit of hell. Conviction leads to repentance. Condemnation drives you to despair. Conviction inspires you. Condemnation says give up. Conviction says God is here. Condemnation says there's no hope for you. Conviction is Peter after the crucifixion being restored. Condemnation is Judas after the crucifixion. Never, never restoring his relationship with God. And so Ezra is under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and he is appalled. And he can, this is so important, he confesses sins of his community that he had no part of. This is really important if we're gonna be the bridge. And if you think that's not biblical, and I've actually gotten some emails, people questioning me, where is that in the Bible? Nehemiah did the same thing confessed sins, Nehemiah chapter 1, confessed sins that he didn't participate in on behalf of the community. Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, 
And you say, well, where's the New Testament? Jesus didn't confess sins, but became sin that he never participated in. Which is the only reason we're meeting today. And so as we confess sins, if we're going to be the bridge, we have to confess sins on behalf of our culture. Read your headlines this week from the lens of God and read them confessionally and say, for instance, last week, oh, Lord, I agree you never created a world where bombs should be flying over in Israel both ways to the Gaza Strip. Oh, Lord, I agree with you that no one should be judged by the color of their skin. Oh, Lord, I agree with you that stealing, murder, violence, ours is a violent culture. That's biblical confession. Agree with God, be appalled over your sin, and then, and I gotta go quickly here, be aware of God's great grace. Be aware of God's grace. Ezra chapter 10, verse two, look at this. Ezra 10, two, in spite of this, there's still hope. In spite of this, there's still hope. Confession isn't meant to drag you down. It's meant to build you up and again, to align you back with God. And so you're, you agree with God, it is sin. You're appalled by the fact that you could participate or that you live in a culture that participates in sin. You're aware that God's grace is greater than the sin. And then quickly, uh, confession takes action towards change. Action's the last A, action towards change. Ezra 10.4, Ezra says, after confessing, he says, rise up. This matter is in your hands. Take courage and do it. The New Testament word for that is repentance. Repentance. It, it's a change in mind that leads to a change in action. Friends, that is the full arc of confession. The full arc of confession. Uh, that, that we start agreeing with God. God, this is sin. We are appalled by it. We're aware of God's grace. And then, by God's grace, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we take action towards change. I have a daily practice uh, that uh, I come in the morning, my first appointment's with God. I would highly recommend your first appointment to be with God. And meet with him, and I get out my journal, and I start with Thanksgiving. Uh, someone calls it thank therapy. And I just write down, what am I thankful for this morning? Then I go to confession, and I write my sins down in my journal. I mean, if, if you would read my journals, it would be embarrassing to me. But I call it what it is. And I walk through this process and going, Lord, I am sorry that, that a child of God could participate in this. And I agree that I'm forgiven. Help me to change. I would highly recommend that. Highly recommend that on a daily basis engaging in confession is your life out of alignment does your life get out of alignment through the wear and tear of life god has a remedy for that he knew that we would engage in activity in our mind and in our actions and be in a sin cursed world he's given us the remedy for misalignment confession let's pray Father, I thank you so much 
that you've given us your Holy Spirit so that when we're misaligned, you can bring conviction. Forgive us, Lord, for calling and belittling the nature of sin in our own lives and in our world. Forgive us for being judgmental and pointing fingers and separating ourselves. God, we live in a sin-cursed world. This is not the world you designed. This is the world we have ruined. And we own that. Because you told us if your people would humble themselves and seek your face and confess our sins, you would heal this land. And Lord, our land needs healing. Our church needs healing. We need healing. So Lord, may we not run by this. May we see you clearly and each other clearly and ourselves clearly. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.